right, folks, welcome to the Cabot Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog, the murk, shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I am Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervella. In conjunction with the Navy League Sea Air Space Global Maritime Exposition, we present this special edition of the Cabot Ships Podcast, focusing on a single defense supplier. Our show coverage of Sea Air Space is sponsored by Huntington Ingalls Industries. Today, we feature Lockheed Martin's integrated warfare systems and sensors business and its vice president and general manager, John Rambo. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here with you today. All right. Thank you. So let's just jump right into it. The, uh, we're we're uh, talking to you today uh, just soon after the 2023 uh, defense budget came out, and that is what people are talking about right now. What popped out at you with that budget for Lockheed Martin? Yeah, I think obviously a lot, Chris, that, that that popped out for Lockheed Martin here, and you know, one of the things we've been tracking closely, of course, is the is the littoral combat ship and the and the budget line there. So certainly, we're we're tracking with great interest the uh, you know the Navy's proposed reductions there in the in the number of deployed LCS ships. So I guess that was uh, that was top of the list for us, and something where we continue, of course, to work very closely with the Navy on how we continue to invest in and support the future of, uh, of the LCS. We know that uh, the LCS platform is being operationally deployed today uh, to, to great effect. And, um, you know, something obviously we'll be interested to engage in a dialogue with the Navy as we, as we learn more about their decisions and what we can do to continue to support them and make that platform as successful as possible. So the Navy and Lockheed Martin agreed last year on a fix for the, um, the, for the gearbox problems with uh, with the LCS, and it's been a reliability issue uh, for those ships for some time. Uh, the Navy's happy with the fix, but uh, it also costs money. Uh, if you reduce the number of LCSs that the fix is going to go on, that's a that's a, is is that driving up the cost for each individual modification? How's that working? Well, I, you know, obviously we got through the fix with LCS 21 very successfully. And, and that was, I think, as the Navy recognized and certainly as we recognized, that was uh, the, the fix was implemented successfully and has proven to be uh, everything that we expected it to be from a performance perspective. So that that is good. As you might imagine, there there is some additional cost there. And, and it you know, it's it depends on which ship you're talking about in terms of, uh, you know, where the financial responsibility lies. You know, some of those ships that are yet to be produced, obviously, that's something that, um, you know, based on the contract terms, some of that cost gets borne by the Navy and some of that flows back um, back through to industry. Um, you know, so we're, we're working through the details of that with uh, with the Navy. But you know, I think I think it, it it remains to be borne out through some conversations with uh, with Navy leadership. You know, precisely what, what what's behind their their decision calculus here, and uh, you know how this will ultimately play out with um, you know what what Congress decides to approve and, and authorize and move forward with. So, in in the end, look, we we feel like we we are committed to be a great partner to the Navy. We're committed to the platform. Um, we're committed to the success of uh, of the gear repairs uh, of the continued investments that we've made in in the long term reliability of the platform and that's a discussion that we continue with the navy every day so the navy and and this is still very much an issue in play you know, you know it remains to be seen if if congress will even allow these to go through they 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 um navy asked in the in the last year last budget to decom four of the ships including the independence class which is produced by austral usa um and congress said nope you can you can decommission one um right. so that's it, this is likely to be a contentious issue assuming though that it goes through that the navy prevails the ships are decommed right now 
Um, have they talked to you at all about future possibilities with those ships in terms of foreign military sales? I know that other countries have expressed specific Pacific countries have expressed interest in the ships. Uh, the short answer is yes. I mean, we have not had extensive discussions with the U.S. Navy about particular hauls. However, uh, we know that Greece has probably been the most vocal in uh, formally requesting uh, excess defense articles from the U.S. Navy for, for their naval modernization program. Uh, certainly, they've expressed interest in LCS as one of their priorities uh, for for you know for supplementing their, their current fleet if that was to become available. So I'm I'm certain that uh, that Greece will be tracking this news you know very closely and will be I, I would anticipate will be engaging with the U.S. Navy to to understand a little bit better their plans for specific ships and when they might be able to be made available for uh, for foreign military transfer. You know, obviously there there'd be some congressional action that would be involved there, et cetera, et cetera. It would be a you know a process that would take some time, but there certainly is interest. Let's stay on Greece just for a second. Um, where does Lockheed stand on the uh, Greek frigate deal? Uh, France's naval group is going to supply Greece with three new frigates, but the Greeks are also updating their four Mako frigates. Um, can you talk a little bit about your interactions beyond maybe yeah, LCS? Absolutely. I, I just ha actually had a call with uh, with Greece this morning and, and we were talking through some of this. Um, Greece's naval modernization program was to ultimately field 10, you know, whether it was new or refurbished ships at sea, the, the, sh the deal that they cut with, uh, with France got them part of the way there in that they are buying three, three, new, uh, three new frigates from France. So seven to go, and they've, they have expended a little bit more than half of their planned budget to, to get there. So they still have, we think, two to three billion U.S. dollars remaining for the balance of the program. And so I think for Greece, obviously, being able to receive some excess defense articles, you know, at reasonable cost helps them accelerate their, their progress towards that goal of 10 total ships. The ability to refurbish their four existing MECO hulls, you know, would, would, uh, would be probably more cost effective than constructing new ships. And then they've talked about a Corvette offering, perhaps. Uh, they've looked at a couple, I think, of international offers. And we've actually shown them a version of the of the LCS hull that could be very competitive with some of the other nations' Corvette offerings. So you could you could find multiple paths to get them seven additional ships, or perhaps even further with the budget that they have left, depending on how they they, they were able to mix and match. The next step really is for them to sit down with the U.S. Navy and and talk through in detail the uh, the two offers that were put on the table at the beginning of this year. One was for the modernization program. One was for new construction. And those are both still active with uh, with the U.S. Navy. So um, you have you, your, your division is producing a new weapon or system, the Helios um, laser system. It's a, it's a counter unmanned aircraft laser. Mm -hmm. uh, it's being installed on the USS Preble right now, destroyer DDG-88 out of BA Systems in San Diego. My understanding is you've, you, you have a contract uh, to produce one land-based system and one sea-based system. That ship is, is still in an overhaul. Uh, she's supposed to come out, hope, I mean, she's already late. So um, what, what, is the, what does the future hold for this year on that system? I presume you're gonna have a, a serious test program that goes on. 
yes, I think at this point in time, we've finished our, our land-based range testing with, uh, with the Helios system. That testing went well. We have packed up and, and shipped the system out to the shipyard. And I think now it's a function of the, the shipyard schedule and when they're able to get that system installed and then when she's able to get out to sea. So I don't have a lot of details on the specific timing. I'm, I think so, to some extent now it's when, when Preble is ready to go to sea. And I think at that point, you know, Helios is, is ready to go. And, and that's really, really exciting. I know the last time we talked, we talked about lasers and, you know, we've continued to progress with all of our laser initiatives. So Helios obviously is ready to be installed on Preble now. So we're, we're past that test program that we were contemplating the last time we spoke. Um, we've also continued to make progress with the Lockheed Martin developed system called LLD, Laird Laser Defense. That was about a hundred kilowatt scale system that, that, um, you know, also implemented adaptive optics. So to be able to really precisely focus the beam to, to, to real time uh, adapt to disruption in the atmosphere and, and focus the beam very tightly to get the most power out of, uh, to get the most effect out of the, out of the power that you have available, you know, in the bucket, so to speak. And so that system has continued to progress. We've been doing some testing with the Navy and we hope to have some, some uh, test results to be able to share uh, publicly here in the near future. Uh, about that system. So that's, think of that as a 100 kilowatt scale system. And then we've been building a 300 kilowatt scale system with the, with the U.S. Army, uh, which will be a, a mobile ground-based system that we will be lab testing in September and then looking to get the first prototype system fielded uh, before the end of next calendar year with, uh, with Lieutenant General Thurgood and his, his rapid, rapid capabilities office. So I think on all fronts, lasers are progressing really well. And I think we're getting to the point here where customers are going to finally be able to push that, that ever elusive, I believe, button and say, look, there, there is real tactically relevant capability here that can be fielded. You know, and now it's going to become a conversation, not so much around the, the capability, but more around cost and capacity, the capacity of, of the, the primes in industry and the capacity of the supply chain to produce these systems at scale. And of course, then there's, there's uh, you know, obviously budgetary priorities and, and uh, you know, policy and doctrine and all those good things. But I think the capability now technically is finally rounding the bend. So John, when you were on last time, we talked a little bit about the time horizon and how, um, whether it's the services or whether it's industry, everybody is sort of feeling this time crunch. Um, I think the last time we spoke was in January and a lot has happened since, since January. Um, you know, whether it's lasers, whether it's ships to partners, um, I, I want to ask you now about the SPY-7 and radars. Um, you, you know, that, that time horizon you know, where everybody was sort of looking at China, which DOD still says is the, is the pacing threat, that, that time horizon has been altered a bit by what's going on in, uh, in, in Ukraine. Um, I, I won't ask you for, you know, your take on that, but other than, you know, your sense of that time horizon and, and if you guys are starting to feel that pressure um, in, in industry as a result of sort of the world's, you know, geopolitical environment being shaken all over the place. Yeah, the, the short answer is yes. I, I think that the pressure has been there for some time with respect to China. And I think that that what has happened in Europe, if anything, has just elevated that that sense of urgency to uh, to, a, to a slightly higher level. So I don't think the conversations have changed, but the 
the, the, the pace of, uh, of the demand signal probably increasing even a little bit more, you know, just continuing to have those conversations about speed to capability. You know, we know what we need. We know industry has the capacity to provide much of it already. How do we move more quickly to get it, to get it matured and, and fielded? And so whether we're talking about uh, overhauling the way we operate on the, the Aegis program. You know, obviously that's a, that's an ongoing discussion that we have with PEOIWS about speed to capability. How do we move to a, to a place where we're fielding increments of capability much more rapidly and much more broadly across the surface fleet? How do we support the Navy's vision to move to the, uh, you know, to the integrated uh, combat system? So we, we already have the contracts for, for Aegis and for SSDS. How do we move to start to integrate those, those capability baselines together to, to uh, a broader, you know, what we call our common source library from which we can pull capability and compile it for, for any ship in the surface fleet? Uh, how do we embrace the open ecosystem strategy that Navy is driving? So I think we talked before about the, the Navy's Forge software factory coming online. We've been working hard to adapt the way we operate to be able to incorporate capabilities that are provided by the Forge or from other you know, small businesses, other partners in industry. So moving a little bit more to the model that we operate under on the ARCHI program with the undersea Navy. I spent some time in that part of our business. And so bringing some of those practices over in terms of how we engage with other partners outside our four walls to, to be able to bring the best of what industry can, can bring to bear, but not losing that, uh, that discipline in how we, we do systems integration, uh, how we do testing and fielding of capability, you know, particularly to preserve the integrity of the fire control loop. So there's a lot of exciting work going on on, uh, on Aegis today. And I think also, you know, with the, with the sensing capabilities, we know some of the, the advanced threats are, are going to be um, much more challenging than what, than what our nation has encountered historically. And so we need advanced sensors. We, we need advanced effectors. And for our part, you know, we think that the SPI-7 technology that we've derived from LRDR is going to bring a, a lot of capability both here and abroad. We, we've, we've had three international customers so far elect to, to acquire SPI-7 and, um, and we hope that down the road, we'll, we'll see more of those. We're also working to uh, offer the Navy and MDA options to affordably upgrade the, the deployed base of, of SPY-1 technology that's out there. We know the Navy is actively involved in, in integrating and fielding SPY-6, and, and certainly we're a partner in that process. And we've also, we've also figured out how we can make some digital backend upgrades to, to SPY-1 to improve the, um, the, the sensitivity of, of the SPY-1 and, and keep that keep that sensor relevant for years into the future. So a number of projects, as you would imagine, around our, our legacy radar products, as well as what we see out there uh, for the future. Before I throw it to Chris, I mean, I'm, what I'm struck by is, you know, again, the, I, I started the question with kind of referencing what was going on in Europe, but I'm struck now because of the, you know, sort of global churn, um, just maybe how important, um, you know, relationships with countries like Japan, Spain, Canada, Greece, um, maybe where folks in the U.S. didn't look as closely at the international work that companies like yours were doing now seem very, very important and relevant. Um, you, you know, not that they weren't before, but boy, the news cycle has really thrust that to, uh, to you know, to, to front and center. Yeah, I, th I think it is. I think these partnerships are going to become even more important, particularly in, in Europe, where I, I know the conversation has been very active about, you know, the degree to which uh, our European allies are, are going to invest, our NATO partners are going to invest in, in their uh, in their national defense. And I, I think that that will, you know, open up some 
some exciting opportunities for improved, uh, you know, coalition operations across across national boundaries and, and probably, you know, additional investments in capability. So still early days for some of those conversations, but they they have already started, you know, some of the, you know, and I, I won't get into a lot of details, but I can say that, you know, some of our European partners who have perhaps paused or slowed down some of their planned acquisitions have already started to re-engage and say, hey, maybe we want to get this capability back on track a little bit more quickly than we had planned because of what's going on in Europe right now. So yes, that that is already starting to become a more, a more active dialogue. So the Aegis combat system is uh, still the world's most advanced uh, seagoing combat system. Um, right now, the USS Jack H. Lucas, sorry, mm-hmm. DG-125, uh, is the first of the flight three destroyers, Arleigh Burke class, uh, now being uh, built down at Ingalls Shipbuilding in Mississippi. Uh, that ship features a Raytheon Spy 6 radar, the air and missile defense radar that is now being integrated with the Lockheed Martin Aegis combat system. How is that integration going on? This is this is a major departure, a major change from the last few decades of development in the, with the Aegis system. Yeah, well, certainly it's a departure in the sense that for for decades uh, it was an Aegis Spy, uh, sorry, an Aegis Spy One integration, and uh, and now we're, we're doing Aegis and Spy Six, and and we have a different industrial partner there in the, in, in Raytheon. And while while it's a departure, you know, at the end of the day, we our, our priority is to be a good partner of the Navy and to field an effective, you know, an effective capability at sea. And you know, honestly, I've been in this job now for. It's going on 18 months. And one of the first conversations I had last January when I was really getting up to speed in the job was with Admiral O'Connor about the importance of, uh, of keeping Jack on track, as we say, within the industry team. And, and, and so we get together, um, Admiral O'Connor, I and my counterpart at Raytheon get together on a monthly basis. We, we personally stay on top of the project. We have an integrated and, and badgeless team uh, doing the work together. And we're, we're hitting the milestones. I would say you know, cautious optimism is probably about as much as you could ever you could ever put forth on something this this um, you know this comprehensive in terms of the the, the revisions that we're making to the combat system and, and the new sensor. But but I would say cautiously, it's been going well. I think there's still a lot of risk to be retired, but we're um, we, we're staying on plan here, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic we're going to get there. Well, John, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, we've been lucky enough to talk to Lockheed Martin's integrated warfare systems and sensors. Business Vice President and General Manager, John Rambo. John, again, it was great to have you back on. I hope you will come back uh, during the summer and kind of give us another uh, update. Uh, your, your portfolio is sort of on the, the front stage for uh, navalists and maritime enthusiasts as we watch what the U.S. and our, our allies are doing. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Chris. I look forward to it. Our show coverage of Sierra Space is sponsored by Huntington Ingalls Industries. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.